From WGCU News, this is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. This Wednesday, SpaceX is planning to launch from Kennedy Space Center with four private astronauts on board for its Inspiration4 mission. It's the first mission of its kind. Today we meet space reporter Brendan Byrne from WMFE in Orlando to get a bit of a peek behind the curtain. WMFE used to cover space stories extensively, but kind of stopped when the space shuttle program ended in 2011. But they started ramping coverage back up again around 2014 after NASA started launching a version of its Orion space capsule. That's designed to take humans to the moon and back. And private space companies like SpaceX started setting up shop at Kennedy Space Center. And that's when Brendan Byrne picked up the space beat. We get the latest from him today on SpaceX's upcoming launch and find out what the other private space companies, Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic, are working on. We also get an update on the status of NASA's planned missions to our moon and to Jupiter's moon Europa and discover the intricacies of space toilets. I spoke with Brendan last Thursday. Let's hear that conversation now. Brendan Byrne is space reporter at WMFE in Orlando. Brendan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. As always, we do invite you to join our conversation on WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. So have you always been interested in space? Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I started, my interest started when I was, I think, in like fourth or fifth grade. I went to space camp. Um, and it was super fun, and I had these grand ambitions of becoming an astronaut, uh, since I aced space camp, obviously, um, and uh, got to middle school math and realized that wasn't going to be the path <laughs> that I took in life. Uh, so then I, I kind of deviated from that, found my way into journalism, uh, and then eventually found my way back to space. So while I don't get to go to space, like like fifth grade Brendan had hoped, uh, he gets to write about space and meet the people that get to go to space, which is equally as cool. You know, it's really funny that you say that because I was talking with our producer Tara before the show and I said, you know, a lot of people wind up in sports journalism because they want to be a baseball player or whatever. <laughs> and they wind up, they want to be around the sport. And I thought, well, maybe that's what happened with Brendan. And it is. It's exactly. Yeah. Math, uh, algebra, I was fine with. Anything after algebra was tough. And it's very difficult to fly a spacecraft when you don't have a basic understanding of geometry, trigonometry. <laughs> Did you study journalism at UCF? I studied political science at, uh, at UCF, which is how I, I found my way into journalism. I was an intern here at WMFE during an election year. They were looking for uh, political uh, folks with political science backgrounds to help with uh, election coverage. And uh, I, I talked my way into a part-time job and eventually full-time job here. Um, and uh, it was my first uh, foray into journalism and public radio just kind of grabbed me and wouldn't let me go, and uh, I fell in love with it immediately. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I got here. <laughs> so, so space was always on your radar. Was public radio always on your radar, or did you find it then in college? Uh, I had always been a listener uh, in public radio, especially in college. As a political science student, you're trying to kind of consume as much news and information and perspective as you can. So I, I would read a lot of papers uh, and, and definitely listen to uh, our local public radio station, uh, which when I was at UCF, happened to be WMFE. Uh, so when I got the uh, email from our advisor saying they were looking for, uh, you know, interns to join, um, I said, you know what, I, I listen all the time. This will be really cool to find out just how it works. And um, I learned in college that the best way to kind of figure out what you want to do or more importantly, what you don't want to do after school was to intern. Uh, so this was my last internship opportunity. So I, I seized it and, uh, and fell in love with it. When was that? How long have you been there? 
That was in 2013. Yeah, so that would, uh, eight, eight years, I think. Remember, my math is not very good. <laughs> when did you start covering space stories? We started covering space around 2014. Um, we had we had covered space at WMFE before my time um, with a host of just fantastic journalists that are still around. Uh, Pat Duggins, who is now in Alabama Public Radio. Um, Judith Smeltzer, who is actually now our interim general manager here at WMFE, but was a consultant for a while. Um, and Mark Simpson, who I believe is now in Maine Public Radio. Um, but they kind of, they carried the space beat during the space shuttle days. And then uh, when the space shuttle was retri- retired in 2011, there there really wasn't much happening on the space coast. Um, so uh, the reporting focus went elsewhere. But it was in about 2014, a, a few things were happening all at once that kind of made us stop and say, you know what, it's time for us to actually cover this as a beat. Um, NASA was launching a, a version of its Orion space capsule, which is designed to take humans to, to the moon and back. Um, they were launching a test article uh, around that time. Um, and then also that was around the time when private companies like SpaceX were starting to kind of, um, you know, set their roots uh, in, on the space coast uh, and start launching some more things. So we had this culmination of the of the private sector ramping up its programs, um, and the commercial companies starting to build and launch again around 2014. And that's when we decided, you know what? It's it's time to it's time to start covering this again. And and uh, my news director at the time asked who wants to do it, and I quickly put my hand up and told her. Uh, well, I went to space camp, and that was my only qualification, but it got me the job. And uh, we have been covering, I covered it part-time back then, and now cover it full-time and, and host our weekly podcast and radio show full-time, and it keeps me plenty busy now. Uh, but I'm glad we made that decision back in 2014 to cover it. What was your first uh, space story, and what did it feel like to be, you know, to have that realization that I'm a reporter covering space? So my first story was that launch of of um, of the Orion space capsule. I believe the mission was called OFT one, which was like orbital flight test. I went out to go watch the launch, and it was scrubbed. Um, and so when I tell that story to everyone, that my first you know first time out there, uh, it was a, a canceled launch. Uh, most space reporters laugh and say, "Yeah, most of your coverage is going to be covering scrubs and cancellations." So it was. Uh, it, it was a good feeling to know that uh, my first launch wasn't a launch, but that was the usual thing that happens. Uh, and then the next day it, it launched and I went back out and, and watched it and it was absolutely incredible. It it, it flew on uh, United Launch Alliance's Delta IV heavy rocket, which is just an incredible rocket with three boosters and uh, you basically feel the thing before you see it. Um, so it was really cool to actually be out there and say, you know what, I did it and we provided some live coverage to our uh, to our audience. And uh, it was at that moment that I realized, you know, space was back here and I got to be a part of it. And it was just such a cool, cool feeling to have. How many launches have you been present for, you know, roughly speaking? And what was the most recent one? Ooh, I don't know. Um, it, it seems like there's a launch every week out here now. Uh, so it's very difficult to count, you know, dozens, if not a hundred uh, at this point yet. Um you know, I think the human launches are definitely the coolest ones, and uh, that was probably the most recent big launch for me was uh, SpaceX's Crew-2 mission that launched earlier this year. Yeah, I, I think the ones with, when people are on them are, are definitely the, the more, they get the most coverage, they're the most interesting, 
Um, but I think some of my favorite ones are the ones where I've met the people behind the mission. Um, so there's a, there's a mission out there right now called OSIRIS-REx, and it launched here uh, a few years ago. And it, its mission was to fly to this asteroid named Bennu, survey the asteroid, uh, fly real close to the surface, uh, collect a, a sample of dust, and then put the dust in this little, looks like a Frisbee capsule, uh, and then shoot it back to Earth, and, and scientists are going to recover it. I th- think it's next year, 2023. But I got to I got to meet the principal investigator, and that's kind of like the head of the mission, right? The science mission. His name is Dante Loretta. And we had talked before the mission quite a few times, and then I got to go in the clean room and actually meet the spacecraft, like got in a bunny suit and covered up everything. I had to cover up my beard and my hair and tape my gloves on so they didn't come off and I didn't discharge any static electricity. And I got to meet this thing. And it was this really, really cool uh, science instrument, you know, about the size of a VW Beetle. And um, then like three weeks later, I saw it launch to space. And like, that's really cool. Um, You know, getting to see this hardware that's, you know, zooming through our solar system, doing this really cool science. And I had the chance to actually meet this object, um, this robot, um, and talk to the people that were behind it. And since then, I talked to Dante Loretta uh, quite frequently. And, uh, you know, just to kind of experience that same joy and excitement that he gets to experience that, you know, his life's work is in this this robot. Um, And, you know, I got to see it and I got to see it launch and I got to share that moment with him. I don't think there's uh, any cooler feeling than that. Uh, so you mentioned that these, you know, the human manned space flights are the ones that are most um, attracting the most attention. So SpaceX has its first all-civilian launch coming up on, on Wednesday the 15th, right? That's right, yeah. And so are you covering that? I am. That that one is going to be very interesting. You know, these, these human space flights are, are just super cool. And um, the ones that I have covered so far, my plan is to cover all the human launches uh, since the restart of human missions here in Florida. That's after the space shuttle retired in 2011. Those first missions uh, afterwards happened in May of 2020 uh, with SpaceX uh, as a part of what NASA calls its commercial crew program. So it pays companies to ferry these astronauts up to the International Space Station and back. Uh, Well, with that technology, they've developed, uh, they developed the Crew Dragon capsule. This is what the NASA astronauts ride up to space. It docks with the International Space Station, and then it brings them home safely by splashing down off, off Florida's coast. Uh, SpaceX was able to kind of convert this into um, another ride for uh, these four civilians. Um, it was The ride was purchased by this billionaire named Jarek Isaacman. Uh, he runs a payment processing company. Um, and uh, he decided that he was going to use the opportunity to, to purchase this seat, because he had a bunch of money lying around, purchase this, this ride to space, uh, and then he decided he was going to use it to raise some money for St. Jude Children's Cancer Center, which, which is how he got the, the first person uh, on, on the flight, uh, a woman named Haley Arsenault, and she's a, a child cancer survivor, uh, and she's now a physician's assistant with St. Jude, and she's coming on board the mission. Uh, and then Jared opened it up uh, to two other folks through a competition uh, and a raffle, both to raise funds for, for St. Jude, uh, and was able to find a, a geologist by the name of Dr. Cyan Proctor, uh, who actually applied to be a NASA astronaut and, and didn't make it to the final round, uh, and also a fellow named Chris, who is an aerospace engineer. Uh, so these four people are, are making up the next human launch here from uh, from Florida's space coast, and, and it, it's going to be a big deal because there are not many private 
there are not many opportunities for for civilians to fly to space, and this is an all civilian mission. Uh, it's gonna it's not just an up and down mission, you know, like Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson have done. These this this crew of four is going to spend about three days in low Earth orbit above an orbit above the International Space Station, near where the Hubble Space Telescope is. Um, and they're going to be conducting science experiments and uh, taking video and, you know, chatting with people down below. And it's really, really exciting because something like this has never happened here before. Um, so it's going to be a really, really fun and really, really exciting mission uh, that promises to take everybody, you know, with them. It's a crew of four civilians, but we're all going to get to go along with them. Can you give us a sense of where SpaceX stands in terms of its progress as compared to Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic. They're all, you know, billionaires trying to get to space, but I get the sense that SpaceX is uh, fairly further down the road. Yes, SpaceX, and I'll I'll, I'll preface this by saying this mission isn't really what SpaceX um, was founded for. Um, SpaceX gets cargo into space. Um, It it brings the astronauts to and from the International Space Station, um, and now it's working on the next moon lander for NASA. This is just kind of, you know, a, a subsidiary, an auxiliary um, department at SpaceX is, are these kind of touristy missions. Um, so with that said, you know, SpaceX is able to pull this off. The other companies like Blue Origin and uh, Virgin Galactic, at least their uh, space tourism departments, um, they only go to suborbital space. So that that's kind of, you know, up and down. It never really enters the orbit of Earth. So you don't stay up there for very long. Um, and that's essentially what they were designed to do in the first place. Um, Virgin Galactic has another subsidy called Virgin Orbit, which is trying to get payloads into space. They are still working test flights. Uh, and Blue Origin is building a bigger rocket that will take big things into space, but not people called New Glenn. Uh, so in that sense, they are, you know, SpaceX is leaps and bounds uh, beyond that. But it's 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 kind of comparing apples to oranges when you look at these two different space tourism destinations, right? SpaceX is going to orbit, whereas uh, Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic are going to suborbit. But the fact that they're all happening this year and this this time is 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 very exciting. It goes to show you that there is a market for this stuff. Uh, but SpaceX definitely has quartered the market on getting people into orbit. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking with Brendan Byrne, a voice regular listeners have heard on our airwaves. He's WMFE in Orlando's space reporter, covering everything from rocket launches to the latest scientific discoveries in the universe. He also hosts WMFE's weekly radio show and podcast called Are We There Yet?, which explores human space exploration. To engage with us and your fellow listeners about our conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So give us a, a paint a picture for us of what's going on with um, moon shots. We've got, um, we're working on it. Russian and Chinese are working on it. India's working on it. Kind of flesh that out for our listeners. Everybody wants to go to the moon, uh, and that's that's a good thing for us <laughs> as, as as humans. There's so much to learn um, on the moon right now. And um, you'll recall the Apollo missions went to the moon in, in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and they landed in, in the equatorial region of the moon, which if you talk to some scientists is kind of the boring part of it. Um, really, the exciting part of the moon is is on the, the, the polar regions because there could be uh, water ice there, which is very important um, if we want to have a, a long duration presence on the moon. We can we can mine it for fuel. 
um, or if we want to go to places in you know deep space like uh, like Mars. It's great to great to have a uh, a place to stop and fill up gas. We can turn that water ice into, into fuel for our rockets. Um, I don't know too much. I don't, I don't cover the international missions, but I, I, the U.S.'s moonshot uh, is coming together here in, in my backyard at the Kennedy Space Center, um, and it's a program called Artemis. And Artemis is really exciting. Uh, Artemis, in mythology, is Apollo's twin sister. But this isn't just a repeat of Apollo. This isn't going back and planting a flag. Um, this is astronauts will land on the surface of the moon, do some exploration, set up a permanent science base, uh, have a a tiny space station in orbit around the moon for us to uh, kind of stop and then go down to the surface. Um, so it's really an, an exciting scientific mission. Um, and, and NASA has said that the first woman will land on the moon on, on the first Artemis mission. So uh, that's kind of the namesake uh, of Artemis is for that. Um, the first big mission is being built at the Kennedy Space Center's Vehicle Assembly Building right now. The, the mission is Artemis 1. It's going to be an uncrewed mission, so, so no astronauts will be on board to test out that Orion spacecraft. Now, that's the same Orion spacecraft that I covered for my first story that launched back in 2014. Um, so they're going to send this one on a trip to the moon and back. And it's being stacked in the, in the Vehicle Assembly Building right now. Looks like that will launch maybe at the end of this year, most likely uh, in, in the first part of, of 2022. Um, but immediately following that mission will be Artemis II, where, where two astronauts will, at least two astronauts will be on the capsule, uh, and they'll do a free trajectory a mission around the moon and back, followed by a Artemis III, which will actually have a crew that will go down to the surface. Now, as, as this is being developed... NASA's working on putting together a space station around the moon called Gateway. So we're not going to go directly to the moon. We're actually going to send our astronauts to this gateway, and then they'll go down to the surface. Um, and SpaceX just received a contract uh, from NASA to build the lander that will take them from Gateway uh, down to the surface of the moon. So all of this is kind of coming together and happening in parallel. Um, and uh, NASA is hoping that this moonshot will, will actually happen you know, in the next few years, uh, with a very ambitious uh, number uh, being thrown around, landing in 2024. It's likely that will happen later in the, in the decade. Uh, but in the next few years, we're going to have humans on the moon again. And I think that is something absolutely fascinating and so exciting. And it's happening right here in, in my backyard and, and from our, our state, which is so cool. And we'll have humans on the moon and be able to transmit back high-definition video and stuff. So it'll, it'll be like, you know... It'll be like being there in a sense, like when we, you know, when we see people on the ISS, except it'll be on our moon. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm most excited about that. Like we're going to the moon with, you know, 4K technology or 8K technology. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, NASA has been working on all sorts of different ways to kind of beam back information faster using lasers and uh, different relays and stuff. So it will be really cool to see like what the moon looks like uh, you know, the remake of, of Apollo, uh, if you will. As I understand it, the International Space Station is kind of starting to wear out. Can you give us a sense of, uh, you know, where it is in its projected life and if there's anything else being planned after it? Yeah, that, that's the big question is how long will the International Space Station be around? And I, I, I don't know if there is a, a definitive answer. Um, the International Space Station needs international cooperation for it to run. It needs our partners uh, in Russia. It, it needs our other partners uh, from the Japanese Space Agency and the European Space Agency. Um, but it does seem like there are some other plans for different 
uh, you know, space stations for, for those, for some countries. Uh, China's building one. Uh, they actually have one in orbit right now. Russia has talked about it as well. Um, but the International Space Station is, is you know, extremely important to NASA's long duration, long-term ambitions in space. You need to have this low Earth orbit uh, set up for any of these other things to work, right? A lot of the stuff that that is going to go to the moon and Mars gets tested on the International Space Station first. I'll give you an example. One of the things that I love to cover um, is the space toilet. It's so fascinating um, just how, you know, we've had to overcome all of these technical obstacles to do something so basic like go to the bathroom in space. And recently, NASA sent up a brand new toilet to the International Space Station to test out. Um, and basically, the, the station astronauts were told to stress test this thing, push it to its limits, give it all it's got, um, because this is going to be the toilet that will be installed on the Orion space capsule that will go to the moon and back. So you, you need to have this platform to test things out, a test bed before going to farther places. Um, and NASA understands that, and so does Congress, which ultimately funds these things. Um, and, and they've started to open up the space station to more commercial activity, which in a way will help fund it um, so that we don't have to you know, pour billions and billions of dollars to keep this thing up in space. The private industry can pay for a little bit of it and, and help keep it in space. So I think that's going to be one of the that's one of the underreported stories uh, that we've been talking about. But I think it's going to be one of the bigger stories of of this decade and especially the next four or five years is what happens to the International Space Station. Will Congress and, and NASA continue to support it? Or will they look to the private sector to support the International Space Station or maybe even the private sector to put up its own, you know, commercial space outposts up there that NASA can lease, you know, they can lease property on there. Um, So it'll be very interesting to see what happens to the International Space Station. I'm I'm glad you asked that question. One of the interesting missions that I'm really looking forward to is um, we're going to Jupiter's moon Europa, correct? Yes. Do you know anything about that mission or what the timeline is? Uh, it's going to happen sometime in, in the 2020s, um, and this is a very exciting mission for, for anybody that, um, that follows planetary science. A lot of times we, we stick around, you know, the moon and Mars, and th- that gets all of, uh, all of the, the love, um, but there's also these other places in our solar system that we don't know much about. So, so there's, there's Europa, the Europa Clipper. It's going to be like almost a, a submarine that's going to be going to this moon. Um, we're also heading back to Venus. Um, there's some, been some really fascinating uh, things that we've discovered in the atmosphere of Venus, um, like this gas that is related to life. And, and scientists are still trying to figure out what we're actually seeing when we look at it using remote sensing. Um, so, you know, that's super exciting. We're going to actually send two probes there to, to see what's happening. And, and Venus is very interesting because it started very much like our own planet, but developed this very thick atmosphere that kept in a lot of things. It's kind of like this greenhouse. Um, it, it trapped its gases kind of like what, what we're dealing with here on Earth with greenhouse gases, uh, but to a much higher level and an exponential amount. Um, so it's kind of like foreshadowing what could happen to our planet if we don't kind of take control of, of what we're doing with, with Earth here. So Venus is, is super fascinating to see, to discover more about that. Uh, later this year, we're sending a probe, NASA's sending a probe to the Trojan asteroids, which we 
never been to. These are these metallic asteroids that are real close to us. Um, so there's all sorts of really cool things that are happening when it comes to planetary science just happening in the next few years uh, that are going to be really fun. So yeah, the moon, Mars, that's cool. But planetary scientists are really excited for these other missions, like, as you mentioned, to Europa, missions to Venus, uh, missions to the Trojan asteroids, uh, and missions beyond. Are there formal plans to send humans to Mars? That's always the horizon goal, right? That's, that's the, what NASA says. All of this stuff is to, is to get humans to Mars. But we are, we are a long way away from that, even to the point where NASA doesn't even give you an ambitious goal of getting people to Mars. The private sector, like SpaceX, is looking to do that and could possibly do it before NASA. Um, SpaceX was founded with the, with the um, with the goal of making this species multi-planetary, um, and everything they do has the long-term goal of getting people to Mars. The the lander I mentioned earlier that's going to you know get people from uh, the gateway to the surface of the Moon is being designed to get people to the surface of Mars. Um, when you talk to a lot of people um, about it, people much smarter than me, they say that it's going to take more than just one of those entities to get there, right? It's going to take more than NASA. It's going to take more than SpaceX to get there. It's going to be, it has to be a multinational, multi-corporate mission to the surface of the red planet. And there are no formal plans to answer your question, but People are thinking about that, and that is the ultimate goal: is to is to put people on on Mars. And um, I don't know if we'll see it while I'm still reporting on space. <laughs> Hopefully, I get to retire when at normal retirement age. But um, I don't I don't know if uh, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to see uh, people land on Mars, which is kind of kind of bums me out. But we can always hope. Well, we're pretty much out of time, but I just want to give you a chance. Do you have any favorite space trivia or nugget of space information you'd like to leave us with? Oh, let's see. Let me think. Um, that's a tough one. I, I think the, 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 most, the most interesting thing I think that I cover is the space toilet um, and how, how much engineering has gone into making the space toilet work. Um, and one thing that's really cool that I like about covering this is that pretty much everything that goes into space, scientists are looking for a way to reuse it. And, um, there's, there's some really cool investigations and experiments happening right now at the Kennedy Space Center, um, with something called trash to gas. And the plan is to have this incinerator on your spaceship and you put everything inside of it, your, you know, wrappers from your food um, any of the waste you make, even even feces, um, and uh, and you can put it into this thing. It burns it up, and it, it turns it into through the magic of chemistry. It turns it into water and oxygen. And uh, I think the the coolest thing that I've discovered is they at at NASA they have developed a recipe for fake poo. Uh, that they're able to use to test all of this technology. So in order for us to get to Mars, some NASA engineer had to discover, uh, to reverse engineer uh, number two, uh, and has a stockpile of, of fake poop at Kennedy Space Center that they use for their testing. I think that's probably <laughs> the most interesting tidbit I, I can give you. I'll leave you with. That's what we're talking about when we went a little 
glimpse behind the curtain. Well, thank you to our guest. <laughs> Brendan Byrne is space reporter at WMFE in Orlando and host of the weekly radio show and podcast, Are We There Yet? Brendan, thank you so much for your time, and we'll have to have you back as all these stories develop. Oh, I'd love to be back. Thank you so much for, for having me on. The launch window for SpaceX's Inspiration4 mission is currently scheduled for this Wednesday evening beginning at 8 p.m. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org gcl, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Tara Calligan. Our director is Richard Chinqui. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is NPR for Southwest Florida 90.1, WGCU-FM, Fort Myers, Naples, and Punta Gorda, and 91.7 WMKO Marco Island, a member-supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University.